Well, I do. Wow. Yeah, well. I do want to say good morning to everyone. I am honored to be here. I want to. I hope you all know. I really do. I hope you know how blessed you are to have a church home, church family like this, where you can gather together full of young people and and wisdom of some senior seasoned saints and sing these songs. It really is a great thing you've got going. I'm 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 jealous of it uh, with a godly jealousy. Is there such a thing? But uh, I am honored to be here. If you want to open up your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter number eleven. Matthew chapter 11, and while you turn there, I do want to just say uh, I'm Lewis Kiger, pastor of Memorial Heights Baptist Church in Perry, Georgia. It's 851 miles from here, and after lunch, I'm going to get on the highway and head home. My wife and I vacationed last week. Our youngest daughter is currently at the uh, University of Georgia, uh, Go Dogs. Yeah, I know it wouldn't catch much traction here, but that's okay. Uh, she's at the University of Georgia and is planning on doing her graduate work at Colorado State. So last week we flew out to Colorado, visited the college, and made a little mini vacation out of it. And because of that, my wife wasn't able to come with me on this trip. And so I've been gone for literally two weeks, and so I'm ready to get home, uh, see my puppy dog. Uh, but uh, I do miss her, and I wish she could be here. And then if you, hmm? I miss them both. <laughs> One more than the other, you figure out which, so. No, I'm, I'm a blessed man. I do want to also say thank you so much to this church for hosting the Ironworks Seminar. Uh, it was a huge blessing to me. I spoke at the seminar, and while I'm sitting there, I'm learning. I am absolutely learning. And not only was it a time of learning, but I'm, I, am, I feel refreshed and blessed. The accommodations were just fantastic. I mean, if I had my wife and puppy, I wouldn't go home. <laughs> no. But it was just fantastic. Uh, you don't know me, and I hope I can say this. Uh, people don't understand the pressures of pastoral ministry and all that goes into it. So being able to get somewhere and rest and take a Sabbath and just unwind and be around um, other Christian men and women is just super encouraging. And I know it had to have been a financial investment for that place, but thank you so much for... Pastor Jack for leading in that, and then you all also for supporting it. It was just fantastic. And you may not see, you may not see the long-term results of the investment that you have made, but there will be. Other churches, other families, other uh, communities will be blessed by your kingdom investment. So thank you so much for that, all right? In Matthew chapter number 11... Matthew chapter number 11, I'm going to read verses 2 through 6. Matthew eleven two 2 through 6. There God's word says, And when John, that is John the Baptist, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, 
he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the Messiah? Are you the coming one? Are you that promised anointed deliverer? Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Father, open our hearts and our minds to receive the seed of the word. What we do not know, teach us. And where we have failed you, forgive us. And Father, we plead today that you would use us for your glory. In that name that is above every name we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you today on the thought of strengthened by Scripture. Strengthened by Scripture. And I'd like to begin this way. Once there was this itinerant evangelist who traveled ancient Israel prophesying. Over the course of his misprized ministry, he trekked many rugged miles, preached fearlessly, and prophesied courageously. This man valiantly confronted the wicked rulers of his day and preached against sin while calling men to repentance. This strangely dressed prophet of old boldly proclaimed the divine coming judgment of God against all who failed to obey the one true and living God. This man defiantly shook his fist in the face of unholy heads of state and ridiculed false gods and the imaginary idols of men. This valiant man was bold and mightily used by God. Yet, yet, this same man, this same outspoken, audacious prophet of old wasn't always so brave. He wasn't always so fearless. Why, there was even an occasion when the fury of a woman scorned forced him to tuck his camel-haired garment between his legs and run in fear. Like a frightened and wounded animal, he fled and hid under a tree, licking his wounds. His once valiant heart melted and fear replaced faith. This ancient man of God was so distraught, he questioned God and God's plans. And in a fit of self-loathing and despondency, he actually called upon the Lord to take his life because he was tired of living. The man of whom I speak 
is Elijah the Tishbite. This prolific prophet and mighty mouthpiece of God. And you can read about his life in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 19. But I share this microcosm of his ministry for two reasons. First, because there is an inspired connection between the lives and ministries of the Old Testament prophet Elijah and the first century prophet John the Baptist. But secondly, because both of these powerful prophets struggled with discouragement at various times. It's true. Each of them, Elijah and John the Baptizer, had their mountain peak moments of ministry. Each of them stood tall and exhibited great faith. But each of them also endured a trial that caused them to question their faith. Elijah and John the Baptist are inarguably heroes of the faith. Men we should admire and aspire to be like. However, let us all always remind ourselves that the best of men are men at best. Difficulty caused these prophets to wonder if the God they had so boldly proclaimed truly was all that they had said He was. Difficult trials shattered their expectations and caused them to doubt God's sovereign design for their lives. Thankfully, however, our gracious God did not leave them broken and fearful, but encouraged them through His Word. What I want us to consider together today is this. Even the most devoted, godly, committed Christians can face seasons of doubt and despondency as the difficulties of life challenge our faith. Believer, don't think you're an awful example of the Christian faith because you sometimes struggle to understand God's plan and His purposes. Life on this fallen planet can crush you without a moment's notice. And at these hard hours, when our faith is tried, and like those disciples in that sinking ship on the Sea of Galilee, we don't handle things well and we respond with little faith. And in these hours... It takes something beyond ourselves to steady our souls and to anchor us to spiritual realities. What I will submit to you today is this. As the trials of life come, and they will, Christian, you can be strengthened by Scripture. It was the still small voice of God that brought Elijah peace. 
And it was the Word of God that brought peace to the troubled soul of John the Baptist in this text. And friends, when our world's When our world is turned upside down and our cherished plans have failed, there is nothing that can settle our souls anymore than the Spirit of God giving us renewed confidence in the promises of the Word of God. Maybe as you sit here today, you don't fully connect with this. Maybe your world hasn't been turned upside down. Maybe you've not faced some severe trial. Maybe you've not been pushed into a corner. But if you live a little while, you will. And you will turn to something or someone to find strength and solace. And I urge you, I plead with you today, not to turn to the beggarly elements of this world, but find your strength in the unchangeable, immutable Word of the living God. In this passage, Jesus reassures John's doubts. He reassures his fears by pointing his mind back to Scripture, to the Word of our God. Jesus understood. And that's something right there, pretty rich. Jesus understood that what John needed more than anything else, what would help him more than anything else, was to get his eyes off of his situation and back on the Scriptures. Like Elijah of old, anytime our fear of Jezebel exceeds our faith in Jehovah. We are headed for spiritual and emotional quagmire. You might find yourself at some point just like Elijah, sitting under a tree somewhere, asking God to take your life because you're just tired of living. But just like the Lord told Elijah in that still, small voice, you are not alone. There are many others that have not bowed the knee to Baal, and I am not done with you yet. Elijah found strength in the Word of God. John the Baptist found strength in the Word of God. And Christian, when you find yourself facing difficulty and trial, when doubts and fears assail, you can find strength in the Scripture. What I want us to do together this morning is I want to look at this passage that is in front of us. And in so doing, I want, to, I want to ask and answer. What was going on in John's life that led to this moment of crisis that we read about? How is it that this mighty prophet, John the bold baptizer, became John the struggling saint? What took place that caused him to question in the darkness what he knew was true in the light? But then, and importantly, how did Jesus respond to John's despair? By considering this event, I pray that it causes us to see that when we 
face adversity. That when events of life challenge our faith, we can and must rely on the all-sufficient word of the living God to strengthen and settle us. I want you to notice with me verses 2 and 3. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to him, he, John, said to Jesus through them, Are you the coming one? Let that settle just a minute. John the Baptist is asking Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Or should we be looking for somebody else? I'm a little embarrassed to tell you I've only got two points this morning. The first is this. Difficulty can cause us to question what we know to be true. Difficulty, heartache, trial, circumstance can cause us to question what we know is true. John finds himself in prison. He's in this damp dungeon and his mind starts playing tricks on him. He starts to doubt whether this Messiah that he actually baptized and has so boldly proclaimed, is he really all that I thought he was? Is he really all that I said he was? So John sends two of his disciples or followers to ask Jesus this question, are you the one who should come? And when you read that, it, it is just simply, are you really the Messiah? Are you truly the Son of God who has come as Israel's promised deliverer? Is that who you really are? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Now, if you know some Bible... It, it really ought to surprise you in a sense that John is asking this question. I want you to look with me at the book of John. This is John the Apostle in chapter number 1. John the Apostle loves to write about John the Baptist. He does. Now I want you to notice the boldness and certainty with which John the Baptist speaks in this passage. John 1, and I've just got to hit some highlights here. John 1, verse 29. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John sounds fairly confident there to me, doesn't he, to you? That he knows who Jesus is. He's not only confident, but he's also right. 
Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the only suitable substitute for sinners. He is the only one who was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and died a death in the place of wicked, hell-bound sinners who paid their debt, yielded up His Spirit, died and rose again and ascended up to heaven. Jesus is. John, you're right. Jesus is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He is the only hope for mankind. Look at verse 30. This is He. John is 100% sure. You can go on and read the narrative and John is going to say the same one who sent me to baptize told me that when you see the Spirit of God descend down from heaven and abide upon this person, this person is the Messiah. And Jesus went to John, was baptized of John, and what happened immediately after that? The Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove and abides upon Jesus, affirming again to John who Jesus of Nazareth is. Look at verse 34. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's pretty plain. John the Baptist speaks with absolute affirmation, this is the Son of God. Verse 35, at the close of verse 35, Behold the Lamb of God. When we read that little portion of the public ministry of the baptizer, does it sound to you like there is a shred of doubt in John's mind as to who Jesus is? Does it sound at all that he has any qualms about saying this is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the promised prophet of old? No. He is absolutely certain of that. Boldly proclaims it to all who have ears to hear. However, John's difficult circumstances caused him to question what he knew was true. Trial caused John to doubt. And in a sense, this is understandable and it is relatable. When we piece together the events that led up to our passage here, we learn that John had been in prison for months, perhaps even for a year. And I am told through those who get into this deeply, study deeply, commentaries and scholars tell us that the prison that John was kept in was Transjordan, across the Jordan River. John is alone, many miles from home, trapped in a prison cell, been there a while, facing execution. And he was there for what? Why was he in prison? 
for doing the right thing. For having the audacity to hold politicians accountable for their sin. I better not preach too much right there. For saying publicly to the governing authorities, you're living a life of sin and you need to repent. And because he stood for righteousness and holiness, he was thrown into prison. And as he was there in that damp darkness, doubt began to to creep in his mind. Like Elijah before him, things weren't going the way that he thought they should. I'm convinced that in a sense, John's messianic expectations weren't being met. Or in other words, Jesus wasn't doing what John thought he should. In that life sometimes, my friends, God doesn't do what we think He should. And He was facing death. John was facing death at the hand of a tyrant. And this difficulty caused him to question what he really knew to be true. And he sends these men to ask Jesus, Are you really the one? And in fact, would you notice the first part of verse 2? And when John had heard in prison about the mighty miracles of Jesus, that's what you should understand that as, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. John, long way from home, trapped in jail, heard, about the supernatural things that Jesus was doing. So I imagine, in John's mind, he began to think, if Jesus can do all that, surely he can bust me out of jail. I imagine John thinking, surely this man who is capable of performing all these supernatural miracles, is not going to let his cousin rot in prison. Maybe John asked himself the kind of questions that we often do. If the Lord really loved me, why would he let me go through this? Surely God in His omnipotent power could deliver me. Have you ever had any questions like that? Have you ever wondered, why doesn't God intervene? Maybe you didn't, you didn't really doubt His love for you, but you certainly doubted His plans for you. Why doesn't God deliver? Why doesn't God heal? Why would He allow this to happen? Perhaps you might even be like John and think, I've tried hard to serve the Lord. I've committed myself to Him. I've 
taking bold stands for what is right. I've called out sin and stood for holiness. I've left my family behind. I've forsaken all. And yet here I am suffering this. This must have been how Elijah felt. This must have been how John felt. I know it is how I have felt at times. But we can sort of get it, right? We can sort of understand John's struggle. Things weren't going the way that he thought they should. Things aren't going the way he thought they would. My dear friend, have you lived long enough to learn that God doesn't always do the things the way we think He should? Have you learned that God's calendar is far different than our own? When, like John, fear replaces faith, and when certainty succumbs to uncertainty, we are headed towards a spiritual abyss. Doubts and fears assail those who focus on their situation rather than on Scripture. This is not mine. I didn't come up with this, but it is a wonderful thought. My dear Christian family, don't doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. You can stand on the promises of this book. Not a one of them will ever fail. You can rest in the assurances that our God has given to us, He cannot lie. And our God has a divine design in all that He does. And this is true even when... No, this is true especially when we don't understand how or why. I'm not suggesting, I am not suggesting that we will always understand why God does what He does. Why He allows the things that He allows. But here's what the Christian does know. This world is not controlled by karma. It is not controlled by coincidence or luck or fate. But instead, our lives are governed by a good and gracious King. Absolutely, my friends, when death comes, when the doctor says cancer, when you get that unexpected phone call that turns your world upside down, our faith can become weak. We can falter. We can stumble. We can doubt like other great saints of old. 
And we can question what we know is true. But let me submit to you candidly, my friends, God is not shocked by our doubts. He's not disappointed by our weakness. He's not even weakened by our weakness. Instead, He understands. And I know this because of how Jesus responds to John's disciples. Jesus doesn't scold them. And He doesn't even scold John through them. Instead, our gentle Jesus gives them instruction that will speak peace to John's troubled soul. When difficult situations arise and cause us to question what we know is true, what do we do? Do we foolishly turn to this world for wisdom? What must the Christian do when situation causes us to question what we fully know and believe? And the answer is we turn to Scripture. We turn to Scripture. I want you to notice with me verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and He said to them, You go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Now notice, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now it may seem to you like Jesus isn't actually answering the question. But in fact, that is exactly what He is doing. And I need you to get this. If I could could ask you to lean in for just a moment, I, I want you to get this. If you miss this, you miss the entire point of the passage and the entire point of the message. Jesus doesn't list these supernatural signs. So John's disciples would ooh and awe. No, hear me. Jesus cites these specific events Because this is exactly what the Old Testament said Messiah would do when He came. It may not be flashy, but it's just what John needed. Jesus is answering John's question by pointing him back to the Scriptures. John, you want to know if I am the Messiah, the coming one? Well, here's the answer. The Old Testament prophesied that when Messiah would come, this is what he would do. John, this is what I'm doing. Therefore, yes, I am the coming one. I am Israel's Messiah. And what is so rich about this is in Matthew 11, verses 5 and 6 here. 
Jesus is literally quoting from Isaiah. Now, I'll give you those references in just a moment. But listen, Jesus is referencing Isaiah. You know who else preached from Isaiah? John the Baptist. In fact, John's first public message was him quoting Isaiah the prophet. So get this, Jesus is pointing John not to these supernatural signs, but to Scripture. Because the Scripture said, this is what Messiah would do. I'm here doing it. So my second point is this. While our situation may not change, our hearts can be strengthened by Scripture. Jesus would have John consider the words of the very prophet, prophet that he himself had read, studied, and preached. When we leave this text, John is still in prison. That didn't change. But I guarantee you this. When John's disciples got back and relayed what Jesus had said and reminded John of the prophecies that Jesus was fulfilling, something wonderful began to happen in the heart and life of John the Baptist, even while he was still in prison. I can't prove it. This is a little bit of what I like to call some sanctified imagination. I, I, can, I concede I'm exegeting the white spaces here. I concede that. But I tell you what I think. I think that if John in prison had with him a copy of the book of Isaiah, I promise you he flipped that scroll open and began to read those words over and over again. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sink. Isaiah 61, 1, The Spirit of the Lord, is a, uh, God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to pray, proclaim liberty to the captives. Man, I bet when John's eyes hit the page or when his heart started rolling over those verses, His faith exploded. It was renewed. I think he might have had a little bit of what he had while he was still in the womb of his mother when Mary walks in and says, I'm carrying the Messiah. You remember that? The babe leapt in the womb. I think John left in prison. I think his heart was renewed within him through the Scripture, through the Word, as he sat there and he read again. <laughs> yes! Yes, this is what Messiah will do. This is what Jesus is doing. He is the coming one. He is who I thought He was. He is the, Israel, um, the Messiah of Israel. Yes, He is. The assurance that John needed was found written on the inspired page. 
Jesus could have said any number of things in response, but Jesus said, John, go back to the book. John, you need to get your nose back in the book. Remember what you taught. Remember what you read. Remember what you studied. Remember what you knew. Darkness had obscured John's faith, but God's Word was a lamp unto his feet and a light into his path that led him from the swamp of despondency. What John needed more than anything else was a renewed confidence, not in supernatural signs, but in the reliability of Scripture. The Bible promised this is what Messiah would do. This is what Jesus is doing. He is indeed the long-awaited Christ of God. Hear me, my friend. If you're a believer, your situation may not change. But your faith can be renewed to face the struggle when you are strengthened by Scripture. I don't know who I'm talking to today. You may still have cancer. That loved one may still be gone. That career may be over. But let me tell you something, Christian. You can rely on the Word of God and the God of the Word. You can trust, fully trust in the promises of this book. Let me flip it around just a little bit. What else are you going to put stock in, put faith in, if not the Word of God? What else are you going to rely upon? What else are you going to hope in? What else are you going to trust in to help you get by? Surely, Christian, you will not listen to the theology of Oprah. Place your faith in Dr. Phil. Rely upon human philosophy, human reasoning, reasoning, human logic. Sometimes even well-meaning friends who don't know what to say when we're in heart-rending situations. Sometimes our well-meaning friends who don't know what to say don't have enough good sense about them not to say anything. Is that too mean? But that's true. You live a little bit. Someone comes to you and you're in the middle of crisis and they say, well, you've got to take the good with the bad. God needed another angel. Or perhaps the worst. God will never give you more than you can handle. We've got a word for that where I come from. It's baloney. Of course God will give you more than you can handle. So you know how much you need Him. How much you rely upon Him. When death is at the door when the diagnosis doesn't sound good? When that prodigal child has wandered away from the father's house again? Don't come at me with cliches and empty platitudes. I want the book, don't you? I need somebody to remind me 
in the darkness what I know to be true in the light. I need somebody to reassure me about who my God is and what He has promised. Tell me what I know because the pain of this situation won't let me think clearly. Tell me what my God has said because the hurt has shut my eyes, my ears. Tell me again who my God is. So I can trust Him when everything else is falling apart. No, your situation may not change any more than John's did, but like him, you can be strengthened by Scripture. My dear friend, when you go through a trial and it causes you to question God's love, God's purposes, go back to the book. That's exactly what Jesus did for John. Christian friend, when some bleak situation has robbed you of assurance, go back to the book. Believer, when heartache has ripped your heart or your home apart, I urge you, rest in the Scriptures. Stand on the promises. Walk in the light of the Word. I don't know your plight today. But this much I can tell you from the Bible. God loves His people with an everlasting, immeasurable love. God loves His people so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Our Father, and we need to remind one another of this, Our Father, our Heavenly Father, will always and only do what is good and right and just. That's who He is. Maybe today you need to hear this. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And we know that all things work together for good to them who are the called according to His purpose. And I hate, I just butchered up Romans eight twenty eight To them who are the called to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. How about this? Jack Holbrook, you about had me crying over here right before I was trying to preach. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, Listen, when you're standing by that graveside, I don't need somebody to text me memes. I don't need cliches. I don't need platitudes. Remind me of what I know from this book. We should not all sleep, but we're all going to be changed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We buried my mother just a little over a year ago. I spent two days with my dad this week as I was traveling, and he's still coping with that. Listen, I don't have anything to give him except this right here. 
Difficulty can cause us to question what we know. Though our situation may not change, we can be strengthened by Scripture. Dear friend, if great men and women of the faith can struggle with doubts and discouragement, so can we. If Elijah fought with a bout of depression, so can we. If John the Baptist had his doubts, so can we. The only remedy is to rely upon the eternal word of the eternal God. John's faith had been affirmed by the Son of God and the Word of God. No matter what we face in life or in death, we must do so strengthened by Scripture. Thank you, Brother Jack.